0: We're going to be over in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. I heard about, about something that happened in the foyer of a, of a church. A young boy was looking at a plaque with the names of the men and women who had died in the different various wars. And he asked, he asked the pastor, who are these people? And the pastor said, those are the members of our church who died in the service. And he said, oh, really? He said, the early service or the second service? (laughs) Things children say, things children think. I wanted to review a little bit from last week because we didn't really get through. um, Well, I didn't get through a lot of the sermon last week. I just got going on the first page and couldn't stop, apparently. Apparently. But just to um, kind of review briefly, we talked about um, convictions and preferences. And this is what we gave you, and I think this is on your notes. It says a preference is something you prefer. Nothing wrong with a preference, right? And it can change depending on the circumstances. A conviction, however, is true no matter the circumstances. And as believers, our convictions are based on off scripture. Amen? They're based off scripture. And because our convictions are based off scripture, it should um, help us in the way we view the world, how we view life. And we call this specifically a worldview. And a worldview, someone's worldview, is the is their big picture, a harmony of all Their beliefs about the world, it is the way of understanding reality. One's worldview is the basis for making daily decisions, and it is extremely important. We all have a worldview, every one of us. Uh, Everyone on the earth has a way, they look at the world, and they wonder to themselves um, um, of why they're here. I'll give you an example of a worldview and uh, how someone can look at something that is true and they maybe have a different uh, view on it. For example, an apple sitting on a table is seen by several people. A botanist looking at the apple classifies it. A artist sees a still life and draws it. A grocer sees an asset and puts it in uh, in, in inventory. A child sees it and eats it. And, um, and so how we look at any situation is influenced by how we look at the world at large. And every worldview, Christian and non-Christian, deals with at least three questions when it comes to their worldview. Here's the first one, is where did I come from? Where did I come from? And why are we here? The second thing, and maybe you've said this to yourself, um, what is wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? And three, how can we fix it? And Every one of our worldviews are some way connected to how we can answer those questions. Now, a prevalent worldview today is something called naturalism. And naturalism kind of, I guess, shoots off in a couple different directions, and uh, which answers the three questions like this: We are a product of random acts of nature with no real purpose, is what naturalism teaches. We do not respect nature as we should. There might be some truth in that. We can save the world through conservation. If we just try hard enough, we can save the world. Does this sound familiar at all to you? We see this today in our media, in our society, that, um, and it's mixed in, I guess you could say, even humanism, that we can save the world. Interesting. A naturalistic worldview generates... Um, a couple of different philosophies that we need to be aware of, and some of these are you're, you'll be familiar with. Moral relativism. The main argument relatives appear uh, appeal to is that that of tolerance. They claim that telling someone their morality of what is right and what is wrong is very intolerant. And. Relativism, relativism uh, uh, relates and, and tolerates other viewpoints of people. And I know at first, for some, you're like, what's wrong with that? I mean, that sounds good. You should be respectful of other people. Absolutely, I think we should. But while it sounds good on the surface to just tolerate other people, to have tolerance and just let all views that it shouldn't matter how Um, uh, uh, someone else's views and what they do. Um, It's very misleading. It's misleading because of this. First of all, evil should never, ever be tolerated. And what we live in a society today is that because so many have preached tolerance in our schools, communities, and even some churches when we say everyone should be equal, everyone should have the same when it comes to their views. Now I agree, we all should be equal and God made us all and we are valuable to him regardless of what you look like, what race you are. Like We all are valuable to God and we all are equal. I agree. And we are called to love one another. But this view is all views are equal. And what you end up with is a country Where you have, and this is what we have in our country today, that there is a law that is passed that if you allow any extracurricular activities at school, you must allow all of them as long as they agree um, if it's an after-school program. Some of you are familiar with the Good News Club. That's why you can have a Good News Club in different schools. But maybe you've heard of recent years, and it's not in our community, thank the Lord, but there are schools that have a Satan Club. Now, you and I, as believers, might go, wait a second, what are we doing? But when you're preaching tolerance and you have to accept everything, you also end up accepting evil. And whoa, you have a problem because you have truly no standards because you're tolerating everything. Then there's postmodernism. Postmodernism is a philosophy that affirms no objective or absolute truth. And so, and we've seen this for years being taught. Is that what may be true for you and the way you feel about it may not be true for someone over here. And we end up making our own truth and we end up treating truth like a South Carolinian uh, buffet that we go through and we just pick what we like and we kind of make our own religion, so to speak, our own views. And many people are doing that today and they have their own view of God and they would say things like this. This is how you know they're doing this. Okay, and maybe you've done this. My God would never and you know what? You're right. Their God would never because you made your own God. But you see, we get our convictions from Scripture. And as a Christian, we believe that all truth is God's truth. And some people, some people are so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. And they wonder why we live in a crazy world in which we live in. And it feels like sometimes when it comes to postmodernism that trying to find the truth is kind of like nailing jello to the wall. It doesn't just quite stick and they're always switching and changing their truth. Then there's some that define truth by just their own experiences or just their own opinions. Then you have those who think that one day if we can can just have a, a utopia, if we just try hard enough, if we just make the right laws, if we just have this political person in power, if we just have this, if we just have that, we can have everything we need and the way we want it in this world, and it will be perfect. And here's here's the, here's the, here's the answer. Is that just simply want to happen? We have a problem. We have a problem. You see, a Christian worldview, on the other hand, answers these three questions biblically. Where did we come from? Well, in God's word, it says we are God's creation. We are made in his image. That human life is Is precious. Regardless if you're young, regardless if you're old, you are precious to God. You are made in his image. He loves you. He does have a plan for you. And he wants to for you to have a relationship with him. We ask, What's wrong with the world? Well, the Bible answers that. That sin entered the world, that we have sinned against God, and because we have sinned against God and mankind has sinned, the whole world is under a curse. People, there's some people who believe more in sports curses than they do believe in the the curse of sin. They'll think, man, the Cubs will never win a World Series. The Red Sox will never win a World Series. Cleveland Browns, no, they'll never win anything. All right. Like, <laughs> but people have that in their mind, like there's believe more in sports curses than, than the sin curse on the world. But the Bible explains it. We have a problem. We have a sin problem. Why are people so jacked up? Why do bad things happen to good people? Sin. But God hasn't just left us to wonder, rudderless. You see, we wonder and we look around, how can all of this be fixed? And God himself has redeemed the world through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're mad at God. If you've been a Christian long enough, let's just be honest, there's been times you've been upset with God or God hasn't done something you wanted Him to do and you're upset with Him. He already knows and He still loves you. But maybe you're upset with God and. And, and, and maybe you're not a Christian, but you're upset, you're angry. Maybe it was the way you were raised. Maybe it was something that happened to you that was out of your control. And maybe you're really blaming God for all those issues. I want you to know, how much does God really love you? They, they, and, and when we grasp Calvary, when we get a glimpse of what he really did for us on the cross that he did not have to do, Jesus, God in the flesh, went willingly to the cross. That God the Father let his own son go and die for us. That we could experience life. He loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And one day the creator, the creator of this world will right all the wrongs. There will be a new heaven. Uh, There will be a new earth. And so this is just temporary. We're just passing through. See, a Christian worldview leads us to believe in moral absolutes. A Christian worldview leads us to believe in miracles and human dignity and the possibility of redemption. We live in a world that loves to cancel people, that loves to use them, loves to lift them up and then tear them down. And use them, abuse them, and then trash them. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you've been taken through the ringer and you wonder, is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for me? January, February is a time where people tend to be down. In all parts of the world, but the United States, a lot of the holidays are over. A lot of people aren't getting their vitamin D. So they're feeling down and out in the sun near as much, especially up north, right? Up north. I mean, they're all pale and white up there. Some of you are put them to shame, man. You got your tan going on living here in the south and and um, getting your vitamin D. But people feel down and the holidays are over and they're starting to realize, man, I got a whole year of this. And they start to think, does my life really matter? Is God done with me? And so thoughts come in their minds that they normally don't think, and maybe they're tempted to do things and know they shouldn't do. I want you to know God isn't done with you. Yet. You see, true Christianity is more than just a set of ideas to use at church. Christianity, as taught in the Bible, is itself a worldview. The Bible never distinguishes between a religious and a secular life. The Christian life is the only life there is. And Jesus proclaimed himself that he was the way, the truth, and the what? The life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. And so, In doing so, because he is life, he became our world view. He is our world view. And Jesus, he is our cornerstone. We build our life upon him. His word is our guide. It speaks to us. It leads us. The Holy Spirit gives us strength and ability to obey, and fills us and controls us. We need God's help. The Holy Spirit is God. In Daniel chapter 3, we're going to read of three men who decided they were going to stand. They were going to stand for God when they could have bowed because their worldview was shaped by God, and they didn't care what other people thought. Even if it meant death, they were going to do what was right. Here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's in the book of Daniel, but we don't read about Daniel with his friends at this time. Now, we don't know where Daniel was at. Many think Daniel was on a trip, that he was not there. Because if you read the book of Daniel, you can see Daniel was a man who would stand for faith. And I believe he would have been standing with his friends. But he wasn't. Maybe he was on a trip. We don't know. But these men, this was not their original names. In fact, um, Daniel's name was Belshazzar, if I remember that correctly. And, um, and, and, and they changed their names. They're in Babylon. Here were these good Jewish boys from Jerusalem taken to Babylon. They're given new names. They're given a new diet. We say tried to give them a new diet. If you read a little bit earlier, uh, they stuck to their Jewish diet. And they wanted to follow God in every aspect and in every way. And some of you... Today, we live in a modern-day Babylon. If you don't think we do, get your head out of the sand, my friend. We live in a modern-day Babylon. Yeah, Maybe it's not to this point where um, um, this is a little bit different situation, but there's things society wants you to bow down to, or they will threaten to cancel you. You see, at the end of the day, as Christians, because... Jesus is our worldview because he is the Christ, because he is the Messiah, because he is a savior. I live my life. I live my life for him and we should bow to nobody else but him. And so in Daniel chapter three, and verse one, we get a glimpse here says King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. Just to give you an idea and I can't quite give you an idea of how tall 90 feet is, but from where you're sitting right here up to the ceiling, 17 feet. 90 feet, that's tall. That's over four times, maybe five times up taller than from the floor to this ceiling. It is tall. This is a huge statue, nine feet wide. And so upon the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon, why is it in the plain of Dura? Because he wants to make sure everyone sees it, that it's plain as day. It's a, on a plain, it's in a field, so everyone can go there and he's going to have them worship it. And then he sent messages to the high officials, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provident officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all the officials came and stood before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And it wasn't uncommon To worship an idol like this. To worship a statue. But no one probably had a statue like this. And King Nebuchadnezzar was like, I'm going to make one like me. I'm going to make one so large that no one else has one like this. And I'm sure no one else had. And verse 4. Then the herald shouted out, people of all races, nations, languages, listen to the king's command. And when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and the other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar, worship his his gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. And so the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. Let us pray. Father, as we dive into your word, may we have courage to stand. Stand for what is right. To stand with truth and love for the gospel of Jesus. May we share the gospel. May we follow you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Nebuchadnezzar has a statue. When the music plays, all you need to do is bow down. When the music plays, all you need to do is focus on that statue. And so they want them to drop everything. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar is saying it's not enough just to be king. I want to be God. And this is one of the oldest temptations that we see in life, but also in God's word. Be your own God, build your own kingdom. I want everybody to worship me. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve were told by Satan, you will be gods if you do what I tell you to do. Uh, he's got a little carrot and stick thing going on here. And he is a temptation that he has um, put before all of mankind. And this is a story that happened about 2,500 years ago. And... um but it is as relevant today, and, uh, and we see this in our culture. Here's a couple of things we see in our culture today. And we see that, um, that they are being pressured to conform. We see that in our culture today, that we are pressured to conform. That if you don't do this, if you don't go along with the crowd, then you're going to miss out. You see, when I'm pressured to conform, the world creates larger-than-life images for me to worship. Today in the world, the world creates larger-than-life images for me to worship as well. We don't make them out of gold anymore. We're not making 90-foot statues, but they happen all the time. Today is the super. Bowl. I like watching the Super Bowl. Some of you are like, I'm not watching NFL anymore. That's fine. That's right. Um, or you don't watch this or that anymore. But we always have something that society wants to idolize, whether it's a football player, whether it's a basketball player, whether it is a singer, whether it is an actor. Our society always has, has someone that they want to make godlike that that is larger than life. And when people see them, when people see them, they just almost lose their minds. When people see them, they get weak in the knees. When people see them, they go, oh, I can't believe this celebrity is in front of me. And really, you just have a normal person. But we get a little bit of a sense. We've seen someone that's almost godlike. It's nothing new. It'll continue. You see, the world creates larger than life's images for me to worship. The world wants you to worship physical beauty. That's idolized in our culture today. And we have this in our mind, in our culture today, and in other countries as well, that if you don't look a certain way, then you really don't matter. That if you don't look really sharp and sexy looking, then you don't really matter. Only those people matter. So we worship beauty. We worship sex. That's an image. It's everywhere in the Western culture. Even in other cultures, too. It's taking over. Wealth, success, these are things that people idolize. We idolize pressure, uh, pleasure, fame, power, influence, popularity. People will go in the middle of Costco or Sam's Club and they'll do a little dance for TikTok, right? And you're thinking, what is this person doing? They wanna be seen, they wanna be famous. And some of the silly things that people do just to get their 15 seconds, really, of fame, they'll do many silly things. And maybe you're young here and you think, man, there's a lot of pressure on our college students and high school students and even middle school students. There'll be pressure. And you may even get made fun of for doing what is right and looked down upon. You may even lose some friends. You may even become the subject of of a joke because simply you stand for God and there will be this pressure for you to conform to the other kids around you. And this is what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to be like Rashak, Meshach, and Abednego. I want you to go, you know what? We're going to stand for God and I don't care if anyone else doesn't like it because this is what happens. Maybe you think in middle school or high school that, well, I'll get to college and that'll change. And in some ways it does, but then maybe you get to college and there's still this pressure then to party, to do this, to do that, to fit in, to sleep around like your friends and other people. Like sex, it just isn't really that big of a deal. But then you get out of college and you start a career and you think, well, I won't have to do any more peer pressure. And then it just keeps on going, doesn't it? But you know who it doesn't keep going on for? The man who... Or, woman of God who goes, I'm gonna follow Jesus in His Word no matter what. I don't care if my parents like it or don't like it. I don't care if my brother or my sister or my boyfriend or girlfriend or the neighbor or my coworker. I'm going to follow God. My worldview is Jesus. He is my life because he is the life and I'm going to follow him no matter what. And that's what we need today. We need some more Daniels. We need some more uh, people just like these three friends who go, you know what? I'm going to follow God. I'm going to be like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I'm going to be like them. I'm going to stand with them. And God's looking for people just like that. And maybe you're here this morning and you wonder, man, I don't know if I'm smart enough or if I'm good enough. Maybe I'm too broken to be used by God. I want you to know something. The best ability that God is looking for is availability. None of you are too broken that he can't use. None of you are too old that he can't use. None of you are too young that you can't be used. I was listening to a pastor a while back on a leadership podcast, and he said, you know, when I was in my 30s, I felt too young to really be like a like a, I, I felt too young to be a pastor, but he was a pastor and he felt insecure about that. Then he said, I got in my my forties and I still kind of felt the same way. And then when I, when I turned 49, I felt like, you know what? I feel old enough to be a pastor. Like I feel like the age. And then he said, I turned 50 and then I realized I felt too old to be a pastor. (laughs) It doesn't matter who you are. You're always going to either feel too young or too old. I guess unless you're 49, you're just right for one year. We always feel that way. We always feel that way. Don't, don't, don't conform to that. Don't be pressured into that. Here's also what we'll see. Is that when we're pressured to conform, I'll be asked to do it for the sake of unity. Notice what's going on here. The Herald shouted in verse 4, the people of all races, nations, languages. So I mean, everybody. This is a way for us to come together. Are you against a way for us to come together? To bring all different races together? How dare you? How dare you feel though? How dare you not bow down? And that was the mentality. And it wasn't that these three friends didn't want all races to come together. I mean, in heaven, we're all going to be together. Amen? Amen? And um, by the way, if you're wondering, what does the average Christian look like in the world? He took all the Christians, all of them, And you average them out. What does the average Christian look like and how old they are? It's something like it is um, an Asian woman in her mid-twenties. So like, hey, heaven's going to be everybody. And then we can bow down. But here... He's trying to play God. He's trying to mimic God. He's trying, hey, when the music plays for the sake of unity, everyone just go ahead and bow down. And when, man, they will pressure you to conform for the sake of unity, or they will call you a bigot, or they will say that you're full of hate. And that's what's happening today. I mean, if you you don't agree with the world on certain things when it comes to sexuality, for example, they'll go, oh, you're a bigot. Oh, you, how, how dare you be that way? When in fact, as Christians, we hold on the truth and love. We love everybody. Amen? Anyone's welcome to come to our services. But it's not going to change the truth in which we teach and preach. And if we disagree, we're not going to hit you over the head with a Bible. But we're not going to not give you the truth of God's word. And you can take it or leave it when it comes to God's word. If you're new here, you're new, you're watching and you're wondering like, how do these people, you know, how do they think? What do they believe? Like, we're not here to belittle you. You may disagree with us when it comes to marriage, when it comes to different viewpoints of sexuality. And we love you. And that's how we should deal with our family members as well that disagree. We should love them. But it doesn't change the truth of God's word. We'll lovingly give the truth. We will stand on the truth because ultimately we are more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing you. That should be our mentality. We please God before we please anybody else. Here's also one pressure to conform is I'll do it to wow others. I'll do it to wow others. Anytime one spends building their own image, That's a potential trap because image building quickly becomes idol building. And the whole idea of our culture is it's about me and the social media world we live in, man, oftentimes you only get the good side. You only get the perfect life view. You only get the perfect picture, the perfect video that's been cut and moved and you know, about a bazillion times until it just, you know, hits just right. You never see any of the struggles. Maybe with some. You get the perfect life. I mean there are people who want to show how rich they are, and they have like a hundred dollars maybe in their bank account, and there are places you can go where they have the inside of a jetliner set up in a room so you can go and you can take your picture and you can look like you're rich and you can see how awesome you are. But in reality, you're in a bedroom that's probably a 15 by 15 room tops and man, you look rich, but in reality, you're just poor. And I don't mean money poor, you're poor of spirit. And you're missing out on all that God really could have for you. And so they miss out. They focus so much on themselves. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to dress our best that we want to dress or that we shouldn't focus on looking good and that those things don't matter. They, they do matter. I mean, I, I hope the goodness some of you shave. Some of you look, hey. Some of you look better with beards, right? Amen. Like you know, I hope that you take a bath. I hope that you comb your hair. I hope that you brush your teeth. I hope that you get you know you care about those things. Nothing wrong with that. But when we end up idolizing ourselves, we end up thinking the world revolves around us. We end up becoming our own idol. You see, when I'm pressured to conform, when we stand on biblical convictions, and what will happen is people. Will try to burn me. Now, if you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm going to paraphrase some of it so the king gets upset he gets furious he gets angry the other astrologers tell on these men standing up i mean they stick out everyone else is bowing down they are standing up and the, he they, they get told on and so um the king is very upset and in fact verse 13 when nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered shadrach meshach and Abednego to be brought before him and uh, when they were brought in nebuchadnezzar said to them Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up and I will give you one more chance? He must have liked them because what would normally a king do? Just kill them. Throw them into the furnace. I don't care. But they must have had some influence on him. He must have liked these guys, but he wasn't going to be shown up. He was king. I'll give you one more chance and worship the statue. I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you're going to be throwing a into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? It's <laughs> a good question, King. It's a good question. You see, when you stand on biblical convictions, when you stand on biblical convictions, people will try to burn you. Not in a physical f- sense, But they'll try to burn you. They'll try to set you up. They may try to trap you. And and these guys were stand-up guys. They were men of influence. But they were going to do what was right. And this made some people upset. And I want you to know that you're going to make some people upset when you stand for God. And when you stand for God, you will stand out. And you know what? God wants you to stand out. Because we are called to be a light in the darkness. We are called not to curse the darkness, but to shine the light. And you're called to shine. And Christian, maybe in your mind, some of you are probably more extroverts. You love everybody. You love talking to everybody. You love going around to everybody. And you love to talk. Some of you are introverts. Half of you are introverts in here. That's why we really don't do a meet and greet in our church. Because half of you would love, you love meet and greet. Like you would do meet and greet for 20 minutes if we let you. But the rest of you are like, I hate meet and greet. It's not that you hate people. But you're like, you're just shy. Like that's not your thing. And we have, you know, maybe you're in between. That's fine. But I want you to know, introverts, hear me out. Your temptation is just keep it all in. Shine your light. Shine your light. So what extroverts, like they're just shining their light all over the place. You know, what extroverts tend to struggle with pleasing everybody. And they have a hard time shining their light at times because they're like, well, I might make someone mad. And maybe you're the peacekeeper. And I get it. We need peacekeepers. But sometimes when you stand for God, you're going to stand out. And you're going to shine that light. And people don't always like that. They don't always like that. I've noticed this with people as well. Is that oftentimes people come to Jesus not because they always see the light. Some people do because of that. But it's oftentimes, oftentimes they come to Jesus when they feel the heat. You see, when I stand on biblical convictions, people will get angry. And Nebuchadnezzar was angry. He was a classic narcissist all about him. This is what you see when people get angry around you. And you'll notice that there's three types of people oftentimes that you'll deal with. There are people who are stuck up. There are people who kiss up. And there are people who stand up. Nebuchadnezzar, he was a stuck up. These bureaucrats, you guessed it, they're kiss-ups. You know. you know what we call politicians, politicians, right? It really kind of comes from the Greek word politics. Poly meaning many, ticks being a blood-sucking parasite. That's how we get politics. And some of you may wonder, why didn't the preacher ever talk more about politics? Because of that reason right there. Don't get in bed with them, all right? They just want to use you, use all that is good from you. And I I, I want different people who may be even lost to come to our church. That They don't feel like they have to punch the Republican card to come to our church. Now, I realize probably most people in our church are Republican. That's fine. Some There's even Democrats here. I know, shh. But I want people to be able to come to church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get enough of it on on TV anyway, that it needs to be always about Jesus. And I think you really get in a dangerous spot when you make your church all about one political party. I really do. I think it's a dangerous spot. But... I only only pastor this church. I don't pastor other churches. This is the one God gave me to be responsible for. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can guess it. They're stand-up guys. When everyone else is falling flat on their faces and bowing, they stand up. So what are you? Are you in the stuck-up department? Are you in the kiss-up? Or are you in the stand-up? And if truth be told, there are times we are tempted to be the kiss-up. To be the stuck up. To never forgive. To be all about me and my world. The kiss up of let's just all get along and tolerate everybody. Tolerate everything. tolerate. We should allow everything. Just allow it all. Just open the gates. The stand up goes, wait a second. I'm going to stand for love and truth. I'm going to stand upon God's word and do what is right. You see, these three friends, they knew what God's word said. They knew they knew the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments that God had given them. Number one is you shall have no other gods before me. The second one is the second commandment is that you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above the earth or beneath the waters below. And you shall not bow down to worship Uh, uh, to worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. This is also mentioned in the book of Numbers, the book of Exodus, that what you bow down to can affect not just you. Satan loves to make us think that it's only about our little world, but it affects our children, Our grandchildren and our great grandchildren. And the only thing that can break that curse is faith in Jesus Christ. He breaks all curses. Amen? He breaks it all. And we should have the same attitude that Paul had in the New New Testament, and these friends did, was for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. And notice as we read on their attitude. Notice notice what they take. And and, and we see the arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar. What God is able to thrust you from my power. My power. What we're going to see in verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If, ye, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I love that passage. I love that verse. It's like, and maybe that's where you're at right now in your life. Maybe you need a miracle. And God, He can work a miracle. I believe God does miracles today. He power of prayer, whatever miracle it is, maybe it's a miracle of restoring a relationship. Maybe it's a miracle of saving someone that's so far from God they need saved and the miracle he can heal. Absolutely. God can do such things. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't God is still good and because he has saved me and he's given me salvation and whether he gives me 90 years on this earth whether he gives me 43 years on this earth or he gives me much much more and it applies to your life you never you don't know how long you're going to live and one may it may feel like they're cut before their time. We've seen children die and it's awful. Some of you have experienced that, it's awful. And while it's hurtful and we wonder, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? In light of eternity, in light of eternity, whether we get ten years, five years, twenty years, forty three years, or ninety years, it's all short. And God is still good because he saved us, because he willingly came. He let his son come and die for us, to love us. And so if you know the rest of the story, I'm going to paraphrase part of this, but they're thrown into the furnace. they thrown into the furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar looks and says, well, wait a second, I thought we threw in three. Why is there four? And one looks like a god. Now, some believe this is the reincarnate Christ in there with them. It doesn't say. Some believe this is maybe an angel. We don't know specifically, but we know this. It's of God. (laughs) It's of God because they don't burn. They're tied up. Their clothes don't burn. They don't even, read it, they don't even smell like smoke. I mean, I get around a campfire in my backyard with my kids and roasting marshmallows. And I'm like, ah, I love it. I enjoy it. But then you smell like smoke. And I got to throw those into the washing machine because they smell like smoke. And then I don't want to wear those to church. Then there's a rumor going around that I'm smoking cigarettes because I was just around a campfire. That's all I was doing. <laughs> so what happens when I trust God in the furnace? And We're wrapping this up here this morning. God walks with us. Through the fire. He walks with me. He really does. In verse 25. Look Nebuchadnezzar said. I see four men unbound. Walking around the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. God also burns off. Everything tying me down. They were no longer tied up. Scripture says in Isaiah 48, I have refined you, but not in the way silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. And maybe right now you're in a bad spot. And you're wondering, why am I going through the fire right now? Is God refining you? He hasn't lost track of you. He knows where you're at. What happens when I trust God in the furnace? Man, He gives us freedom. He gives us freedom. The freedom of when you stand for God and you're only concerned about pleasing Him. There's a freedom in going, I'm not worried about what other people think. Too many of you worry about what everyone else thinks. Are they upset? Are they upset? I'm just going to focus on pleasing God. Life's too short to always be worrying about everyone who's upset. We should be worrying about, are we pleasing God? Here's the other thing. God makes sure I come out unharmed. Notice verse 26. And Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming fiery furnace, which by the way killed seven of the guards. It was so hot. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High, high God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stepped out of the fire. And the high officers, officials, governors and advisors crowded around them and saw the fire and not touched them at all. Not a hair on their head was singed. The clothing was not scorched. And they didn't even smell of smoke. This is the part I love most about the story. This is the main point I want to get to, Christian. Is that when you trust God in the furnace, it will cause unbelievers to come to God. It will cause them to come to God. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble and there is no other God who can rescue like this and the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego even to higher positions in the province of Babylon and last but not least God will reward my faith in heaven so who will stand? who will stand for truth? Who will stand in our society and go, you know what? This is the way. This is what is true. This is what leads to life when it comes to truth, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to leading our children, when it comes to leading our families, when it comes to morals, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to honesty, when it comes to the gospel, who will we share it with? Who will stand? In 1930... Communism was running rampant in Russia. The Orthodox Church there was losing many members due to charismatic atheist speakers who were going around and speaking to large crowds. In this one specific town, the atheists spoke for hours he got to a point where he felt he convinced the crowd that there really was no God. In the crowd was an Orthodox priest. And the priest asked if he could speak. And he was given just one minute. With a saddened heart, and seeing the crowd... He felt the Holy Spirit had one thing for him to say. He didn't need one minute. He barely needed 10 seconds. As he stood before them, he looked at all of them and said this, Christ is risen. And the people repeated, he is risen indeed. And at the end of the day, we live in a world that questions many things. We live in a world that wonders, why would you even trust in Jesus at all? As a Christian, I look back on the disciples who all but one died a martyr's death. Why? Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. There are convictions that we should hold on to. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we need more men and women today, God, that will stand on your word, that will have firm convictions based on your word. We need more men and women, God, that will stand up and have courage in the midst of their fear that will stand up and will share the truth of your word in a loving but yet direct way. We need more men and women who won't be just satisfied with what the world has to offer. We need more men and women who just won't just go along with the crowd that just goes with the flow. We need more men and women who are willing to be made fun of for the gospel. We need more men and women who will stand for what is right when it comes to marriage, for family, for truth, for morals, for sexuality. We need more men and women who will shine the light in this dark place we live in. That will be the salt that brings flavor, that makes life better. God, may we realize that life is short. In the short time we give you, and we do all we can do to stand. As we stay in an attitude of prayer, Jesus, we pray this in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.